Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, Ashley. And today I have a really exciting guest on the show, Jason Mankey. You may recognize his name from his many books on witchcraft, such as Transformative Witchcraft, The Witches of Thame, The Witches Book of Shadows, or through co-authoring The Witches Altar with Laura Tempest-Zakroff. He's also an active writer on Pathios, but he also owns the Raise the Horn blog. So today he's going to talk a little bit about his books, his backgrounds, and then we're going to have a fun discussion on the Sabbaths and see where we go from there. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share a little bit of your knowledge with everyone. <laughs> I hope I have knowledge to share. I'm really you know, appreciative to be on the show. So thank you for asking me, Ashley. Oh, absolutely. I And I am sure you have plenty of knowledge. <laughs> Would you uh, be able to give like a brief introduction about yourself and your background? So um, I feel like I'm 97. I've been doing witchcraft for over 25 years now, 47 since I was 21. Not good at math, obviously. So somewhere in there, I lived in the Midwest for a long time. About 10 years ago, my wife Ari and I moved out to the West Coast of California in the Bay Area. And we have two covens out here. One is an eclectic witchcraft coven, and then we're also initiated gardenarians, so we have a gardenarian coven. I've been doing workshops at festivals for a long, long time, but didn't really start writing books until about 2016 when Llewellyn asked if I would write The Witches of Thame or Athame or Thame or however the hell you want to say that word <laughs> for them. And that was my first book. And since then, it's been about a book and three quarters a year or something, a book and a quarter a year, lots of books, like two in a calendar year. It's kind of exhausting and tiring. Uh, so there's that. I'm also the channel manager of Pathios Pagan. So if you read pagan blogs, you've probably stumbled across something from Pathios Pagan and I get to run that. Yay. Kind of, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've been involved in other kind of pagan traditions too. I was flirting with Greek reconstructionism for a while. You know, I love the Greek gods the house gods at, for where we live are Aphrodite and Dionysus. I was a druid for like a hot minute, but I hate the way druids do rituals, so that wasn't going to work. Uh, <laughs> witchcraft thing is much more comfortable. Awesome. It's a hell of a background. <laughs> you know, you embellish, you know, you embellish for the podcast. It's probably really not as exciting as I'm making it sound. It sounds pretty exciting. And, and, you know, it sounds too like you get to work with witchcraft as like a profession, which is really cool because not a lot of people get to say that. It's true. This is like my job now. And I never really thought that I would be a professional witch. But because <laughs> I get paid at Pathios and I get paid to promote like pagan blogs and then write for Llewellyn and such stuff, it has become my job. You know, you wake up and you sit in front of your computer and you write all day. But, you know, does not feel very pagan in a lot of ways. Certainly don't feel very witchy doing it. But, you know, witchcraft is my job. Oh, gosh. I would love to see those business cards, like professional witch. And, you know, when you go to the restaurants and you can drop in a business card and, like, get, like, a free entree or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just, I would love to see somebody's face pulling that up and being like, what? Is this real? 
<laughs> I have some of those. But I mean, when oh I, my, my first business card, though, was kind of cloaked. It was like writer, lecturer, public clergy or legal clergy or something. And then Pathios sent me business cards once, you know, and it just says Pathios. Channel manager, Jason Mankey, you know, didn't really say what I was in charge of. And then I, my third set, though, I like decided I would call what I do come to Pan Ministries, like, you know, the Greek god Pan. And I would drop that in mm-hmm. buckets. I don't care. You know, people want to judge me. They can judge me. It'll, it'll be okay. I'll get over it. It's their problem, not mine. That's so funny. <laughs> okay, cool. So do you want to talk a little bit about your books first? So I've written seven books now. Five have been published. It takes a long time like when you're done writing a book for it to be published. The first one was the Witch's Athame book. And then the second one was the Witch's Book of Shadows about how to write a book of shadows. It's not like a book of shadows. It's like, here's the best way to write one, perhaps for you. And here's a history of magical books. And then I wrote the Witch's Altar with Laura Tempest Zakroff, which was kind of cool because neither of us had ever co-authored a book before. And we were both writing that book while we were writing other books. So she was writing her book, Weave the Liminal, which is really phenomenal. It's a terrific book. And I was writing Transformative Witchcraft. So, you know, you, you'd kind of write about altars for a couple of days and you had to switch entirely. And then Tempest would say, hey, remember, we're writing this other book. I need you to do things. And I love my altar. So it was kind of a fun thing to write. We have this table that we've used as an altar for 15 or 18 years. I don't know. I don't like to think about time anymore because it just makes me feel ancient. But we had this altar. We had this table, this end table in our house. And we lived in a big house with a bunch of other people, you know, like transient college students. And when we'd have people over for ritual, we would use this table and it was the right size for an altar for a table. We moved to California. It was one of four pieces of furniture we took with us because I just fell in love with this table as an altar so much. And I love this stupid table that just randomly appeared in my house so much. You know, I really wanted to go write a book about it. And the one that came out about the same time as the altar book is called Transformative Witchcraft, The Greater Mysteries. And it's about things that, they don't really talk about in a lot of books, especially in detail. So there's a part about building the cone of power and working with energy. There's a bit on initiations, elevations, and uh, dedications. The great rite is uh, the last part of it. And then there's also a part of possession, drawing down the moon, being like having deity invoked into the body of a person. And there's a lot of history and all that. And then how to... And then rituals that I wrote that I think are decent that maybe people would want to use. And then there's also a bit about the history of modern witchcraft at the start of the book. I thought that would be a hard sell to Llewellyn because they don't like really do a whole lot of history books. And I love history. So but they said it was fine and I got to put it in the book and that was fun. And then in December of 2019, I released the Witch's Wheel of the Year Circles for Solitaries, Covens, and Circles, which is like a Sabbath book. It's kind of about the Sabbaths. And then there's three rituals for every Sabbath, one for solitaries, one for small groups, and then one for large groups. Sort of the history of the Sabbaths and how the modern wheel of the year developed. Because in a lot of ways, it's just not as ancient as we might think it is. And then there's also tricks and tips on how to do ritual. And 
ritual really varies and we don't think about that very often sometimes you know if you do a ritual by yourself that's very very different from doing a ritual with 100 people or 20 people there are different skill sets that are involved depending on the size of a ritual even people who are famous authors and do a lot of public things they kind of forget this sometimes and really screw that up so this is just a funny story i was at a festival in michigan once and this guy was doing a ritual on Friday night and about a hundred people went down to do this guy's ritual. And before it started, he was like, okay, I want people that I really know pretty well up front to help with the ritual just a little bit. So he started naming names and he said my name. And as soon as he said my name, I had to pee, but I couldn't run away. Right. Cause he'd called me and. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Then he challenged everyone with a sword before they came into the ritual space. And if you were really hardcore, he used like a sterile lancet and like took blood, you know, it was done safely. But if you can imagine if you have a hundred people and you're doing that as one person with all of those people, it was an hour plus before the ritual even started and there was no way out. So the whole ritual, all I did was just prance around because I had to pee really, really bad. I don't remember anything else about the ritual because... I had to stand there for so long before it even started. But that's one of the things we sometimes lose track of. Like if you have a hundred people, maybe you have to adapt. So that kind of thing is also in the Sabbath book. Oh my gosh. I, that is like my Achilles. I don't know, like having to pee during ritual or like right before it starts. And it's, it's too late because <laughs> you don't want to like mess up the flow of things. Oh, I have such a bad habit of like my bladder being like, Oh no, no, no. Now is the time. And it's like, Oh man. <laughs> That's never in witchcraft books either, like how to pee with a coven, you know? It's never there. It, People it don't talk about it. Yeah. Is it acceptable to postpone your spell in the middle of the spell because you have to pee really bad? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know what? When you got to go, you got to go. Like, and especially too, if sometimes before ritual, I know a lot of people will, you know, enjoy a glass of wine here or there. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm not even going to drink before this ritual, like maybe some water. Cause I don't want to be that person in ritual. That's being like, Hey, so uh, I know we're kind of in the middle of something, but <laughs> it's just, it's just, Oh gosh, it's, it's not fun being that person. No, no. And during this ritual, there was only one door. So if I had left after getting into the space, everyone would have seen me leave and I've had to walk past him so there was just no way out. It was it was really rough. It was really rough. Oh gosh. It was a painful ritual. My bladder was not happy with me. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, you know that you could write a whole thing on that like witchcraft and bladders. It like uh, seriously, people don't talk about this, but it is absolutely a thing. Well, I mean, I think when we think of when we think about witchcraft, you know, we think about candles and maybe dark rooms and there's some incense and there's this kind of atmosphere that you build while you do things. Having to pee is not really a part of that atmosphere that we think about when we're doing witchy stuff. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just dying. Cause this has happened to me so many times that it's just comical. I'm just thinking, you know, the title of this podcast, you know, be like, <laughs> you know, episode, whatever Jason Mankey talks about peeing for 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know what? I'm right there with you, honestly. And I know there's people I've circled with that if they listen to this, they're just going to have this look on their face. And I, I can already imagine the messages I'm going to get and be like, Ashley, 
yeah, you do peel, need to pee a lot during circle. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I'm sorry. Like, it is what it is. <laughs> I have the bladder of a small pregnant woman. I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm Oh, just, my God. It's always... Same. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so moving on from bladder issues. But, yeah, so if any, anybody's listening, if you need to pee during a ritual, listen, you got to do what you got to do. And if you're really focused on just your bladder and not focused on what you're doing, just just take care of what you need to take care of. Yeah, you're better off just cutting yourself out of the circle and going to do what you need to do. <laughs> it's totally fine. But if you're yeah. in a circle with a bunch of other people, make sure you, you know, if, if there's somebody leading the ritual, just talk to them real quick. Don't just walk out of a circle. That's not good etiquette. No, it's very, very bad etiquette. You need to tell them what's going on. But yeah, but we digress. We digress. <laughs> Yes. So anyway, as you were saying, so you, you went to this or you had a ritual that you were part of that people don't realize like you need to alter depending on the size of the people around you. Yeah. And I really do think that's something that gets lost with a lot of people when they're doing ritual. Uh, I remember I was doing a fest, I was doing a ritual at a festival once and usually the rituals that I do are pretty festive, but I was trying to do this kind of serious Greek reconstructionist ritual. And people, people kept telling me like in the lead up to that, you know, I can't wait until we can, you know, do the ritual and we're going to call Dionysus and it's going to be great. I can't wait. And that was not what the ritual was going to be, but I felt like I needed to adapt the ritual from what I had originally planned to do because people had this expectation of what was going to happen. And I wanted to meet their expectations. I wanted them to have at least an opportunity to have the experience that they wanted to. So, you know, if you're leading ritual, you have to be flexible. Sometimes you can write the greatest ritual script in the world or something, but if it's not going right, you kind of have to adapt. All right. So cool. Um, I, I know you also mentioned to me uh, before all of this, that you have a book coming out a little bit later this year too, right? I do. It's really sort of a different book for me. It's not necessarily a book specifically for witches. It's a book for magical people. So Llewellyn, which is the publisher that I write for, has a series called Llewellyn's Little Book of Whatever. And it's all over the map. There's Llewellyn's Little Book of Unicorns, Llewellyn's Little Book of Chakras. Two years ago, or maybe it was just a year ago, was Llewellyn's Little Book of Halloween, written by Mickey Mueller, who's fabulous. And so there's all these different things. And I was like, I could write one about Yule. I love Yuletide. I love Christmas shit still. I love all of it. Like from about Thanksgiving till about the 10th of January. I love everything that goes on. So that book comes out September 9th. And that's my love letter to Yule. Since Christmas throws up all over my house every year, I might as well write about it. once. <laughs> so what can people expect to see in that book? You know, there's a little bit of history, but it's really about doing stuff during the holiday season. So there's a lot of little spells in it. There are lots of little hints. If you're planning holiday parties, how to add a little magic to the holiday parties. There's some history in it. It doesn't just cover the winter solstice. It talks about things at Christmas. It talks about holidays that we don't really celebrate in America anymore, like Twelfth Night, which is January 6th. And Plow Monday, which is an old British holiday that occurred after January 6th. On the first Monday, people had to go back to work. 
and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and there's stuff about all the different gift givers. If there's something that's Yulish in the world, it's probably at least somewhere in the book for a sentence or two. Lots and lots of spells. There are also lots and lots of recipes for alcoholic drinks. Since really, if you study the history of the holiday season, for a long time, that was the most important part of the holiday season. So there's a lot of recipes. So it's like a smorgasbord of everything uh, all wrapped around the holiday season, though it does not come with a bow because they said that that would make the books hard to ship if there was a bow on them. <laughs> I got to say, I have such a weakness for mulled wine during the holidays. Like I have, well, <laughs> I had this like little tiny crock pot that I would put uh, just bottles of mulled wine in. And oh my gosh, I loved that so much. Like just going outside for a second, like in the cold air, at least, well, you know, cold where I am. <laughs> California might not be as cold. You get down to 40. You know. <laughs> oh gosh, 40s. <laughs> I can see my breath. I, hey, I spent a long time in Michigan. I did, you know, I paid my dues. I paid my dues hard. That's pretty fair. <laughs> Uh, yeah, God, I love mulled wine. I love like the holiday drinks and the holiday food and, you know, everything about that. Like I, I really enjoy that time too. I love wassail. I love alcoholic cider. So that's really my favorite thing. And you can make it either with regular apple cider and then you add whiskey or rum, or you can use hard cider and nice and warm. And since it's made out of apples, you can pretend that it's nutritious. Ooh. I have this thing I make. I usually make it for festivals. I started making it when I would go to music festivals and, and now I've kind of transitioned into any festival where I'll make, um, I call it apple pie moonshine, but it's really made with Everclear, but mm-hmm. um, same thing oh, pretty much. Like when you look at the proof, it's the same. Uh, and it's yeah. made with, you know, it's kind of like a secret recipe type thing, but it's made with apple cider and oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one of those drinks that just kind of like it's, it's very nostalgic that like even though I would drink it during the summer like I would always have a couple jars left over that I would drink during the holidays and oh my gosh it was always so nice just to have that that like s- cider there's something about apples though from about September through December right I mean it's just they taste better during that period even if they're just a juice there's just something something in the air yeah, it's same with watermelon. Like, you know, you can buy watermelon throughout the year, but it, the best is like if you're not having it on a hot day, like in summer and the watermelon's super cold, like it, it just it it does something. Yeah, it's July. It's something that you eat in July and August and June when it's hot out. And you know, if you're a crazy drinker, maybe you put a bottle of vodka in it. Have you heard about people doing that? I have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't really like it, to be honest. I, I It was a little too strong. But to be fair, I was I might not have even been 21. <laughs> and uh, I, I just remember that whatever vodka we used was not a vodka that I would buy <laughs> at this age. Um, it was probably like a $5 plastic bottle of vodka that it, I just want to repress that from my memory. It was not good. Fair, fair. I would repress that memory, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, do you want to move on to the Sabbaths? Sure. I love talking about the Sabbaths. I could talk about the Sabbaths for hours and hours, but I won't because we one of us would have to use the bathroom in the middle of it, and it would yep. be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so, I know for me, like growing up as a kid, and I grew up as a Methodist kid, I loved the holidays. I loved any holiday. 
just because it was such a deviation from the norm in life. You know, like your parents would make a nice dinner. Maybe you'd get a present or something. There was no school. Holidays were the shit. They were fun and they were different. And in a lot of ways, when you're younger, the holidays are the only time that you're really encouraged to have magical thoughts, too. We don't think about it as magical really anymore, but believing in Santa Claus is a pretty magical thing. You're believing in this, you know, old man from the North Pole with flying reindeer who has elves that make gifts and they jump through your chimney and, you know, and they give you, and he gives you presents and stuff. That's pretty magical thinking, really. And then you think about Christmas too, the Christmas season, you know, it's a Christmas miracle and that kind of stuff. So it's a time of year that really encourages you to believe in magic. So in a lot of ways, our first magical experiences are around holidays. So when I became a witch at 21, I was originally sort of nervous. Like, will I still be able to celebrate all of these holidays that I grew up with? Will they change? Can I not do this? Can I not do that? And lo and behold, most of the holiday stuff that people really do, a lot of it genuinely dates back to pagan antiquity and was done before Christianity or parallel with the rise of Christianity. And a lot of the things that we do for holidays too, maybe they're newer, but they're also kind of pagan in a way, like Easter grass, that stupid plastic grass that, you know, if you got an Easter basket when you were a kid, that was all the candy was on. I mean, that has nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, he grew up in a desert. There's no grass there. You know, it all has to do about the return of spring, which is something that witches celebrate. I so have almost- a personal vendetta against that plastic grass. Not to cut yeah. you off, my, uh, my cat, Luna, decided to eat a bunch of random things she shouldn't have been eating when I wasn't looking and ended up having to get surgery because she was getting sick all the time. Uh, she had to get surgery to get this big mass removed from her stomach. And in that mass was a lot of that fake plastic grass that somehow she was finding and eating. And about $2,500 later. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. So I, I have a absolute vendetta against that plastic grass. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. And when we were growing up, we had the really stringy tinsel tinsel. Like you would, it was like little strands of metallic tinsel and you would just kind of throw them on trees and cats would eat that tinsel. And sometimes you'd see it like hanging out of, you know, their butt as it would get through. And we had a neighbor who would just pull it out of his cat. It was really gross. Cats are the strangest things, you know. Cats are very They're bad. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. I just had to throw that in there. I I hate that plastic grass. I don't even know where it came from. (laughs) I don't know either. You know, there needs to be an expose on plastic grass and why people use it and where it came from. But, you know, Easter is one of those holidays that really in our greater society has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with symbolism about the return of spring. So, you know, that's all the holidays that I celebrate as a Christian. In some way, I kind of got to continue to celebrate as a witch. And I've always been really interested in matters of history. So, you know, if I'm going to celebrate Ostara... Or Beltane, I want to know as much as I can about those holidays and why we celebrate the various things that we do as witches on those particular days. So, you know, last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time reading weird books about the history of holidays just to satisfy my own interest. Also, I think we should know where stuff comes from 
because it's a great way to inspire future rites and magical practices and things. You know, you look past, you look to the past to get inspiration for the present. And also, I think that we should hold ourselves to a high standard as witches about where things come from, because we love to make fun of Christians sometimes, like if they get a fact wrong, which means that we should make sure our facts are are right if we're going to make fun of other groups. So I spent a lot of time reading about the Sabbaths. And as I say, I can like ramble on and on about all of them for long periods of time. You know, we're recording this at the end of May. You know, so midsummer is coming up and midsummer in a lot of places. The summer solstice is the second biggest celebration of the year, especially in lots of parts of Europe. There's Christmas and then there's St. John's or midsummer. And it's the second biggest holiday on their calendars. And in the United States, it's kind of been pushed away and aside. And we don't think about we don't think about it as something a lot of people celebrate. But that's not really true worldwide. And a lot of witches I know today love incorporating things from the realm of the fairy into their midsummer rituals. And we often associate fairies with midsummer, but that association really only dates back to the 1590s when Shakespeare released a Midsummer Night's Dream, which had the fairies Puck and Oberon and Titania in it. And so it's not like a necessarily ancient, ancient idea about fairies and midsummer. However, Beltane, completely different story. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I know summer solstice has become very widely celebrated. And and I remember, uh, I want to say it was either last year or the year before, I was on Snapchat and they had a a Snapchat filter for it (laughs) where it said something like celebrating the summer solstice. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Like, way to go, Snapchat. So it's definitely very public. Yeah. Well, in New Orleans still, like people who practice uh, New Orleans voodoo, the, their most sacred night is St. John's night, which is about the summer solstice. You know, it's when they do a lot of big rituals. A lot of people who practice New Orleans style voodoo go into New Orleans just for St. John's weekend because it's a big holiday weekend for those practitioners. A couple of years ago, I got to go to New Orleans over that weekend. And I didn't know that it was really that weekend until like I got closer. It was just something I had to do in my calendar. And it was just amazing. And I had, you know, friends from all over the country who just happened to show up into this magical city on the same weekend. Had a really great time. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I love, I love New Orleans so very, very much. Um, it's like no other city in North America. Yeah. You've been, you've been to New Orleans? It's your no. podcast. I'll just ask you questions. Have you been to New Orleans? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's it's actually on the top of my list. I really, really want to go there. Uh, we'll have to grab Seamus and Ari and take off and go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, uh, that would be so much fun. I know that they do like so many different like witchy type festivals out there, too. And, you know, I'm really into like the paranormal and like all the ghost tours and everything like that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I just really want to go. And, and And the best part is like the plane tickets to go there from where I'm at are not that expensive. I just haven't found anybody to really go with, <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to go down there so bad. Sorry. Sorry to get a sidetrack, but it's just really worth visiting. I mean, there's just so much magic and history. I mean, you walk past, you know, the area where Marie Laveau used to live, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a plaque on it. You can, some of those buildings, not the one that she lived in her house was torn down, but you know, some of those buildings though existed when Marie Laveau was alive, you know, she could have 
been in the building that you're in. You know, you could be standing in the same spot as Marie Laveau, which to me is like the coolest thing. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, I know I hear of like people going to her grave and making little crosses on it. Yeah, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> The, you know, to be to be fair, change the rule. I wouldn't really want to mess with Marie Laveau's grave, like at all. <laughs> no, no, you just leave an offering. That's what you do. But you should see it, you know, when you go. But you just leave an offering. It used to be that you could just walk into the cemetery, but they've had so much trouble with vandalism, not just at her uh, site, but in the whole cemetery. That's where like Nicholas Cage is going to be buried and he already has his monument to himself built. Wow. So there's always kind That's of mood. vandalism going on. So you have to have like a tour guide to get in now. So it's really different. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure too, with American Horror Story, like the coven season taking place out there, so many more people all of a sudden got, you know, very interested in that history. Um, Cause you know, they've they learned about it potentially for the first time. And I'm sure that probably, you know, didn't help <laughs> with the vandalism problem. I know that when I was there in New Orleans last, I visited all of the seven wonders that Stevie Wonder sang about on the show. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so I want to bring up one thing that you mentioned at the beginning when you were talking about the Sabbaths. And I think it's so important for people to realize that just because they're transitioning potentially from whatever religion they may have started with to Wicca, or maybe they're still part of their religion, but they're also practicing witchcraft or whatever somebody's situation is. I think it's important to say that just because somebody is practicing witchcraft doesn't mean that they can't celebrate the original holidays that they grew up with, like Christmas or Easter. And I think a lot of people have trouble with that and they, they might question it. It's like, well, you know, I, I practice witchcraft. So, you know, can I still, you know, do Easter? And it's like, well, of course, that's not a problem. You know, I think most of our holidays in the United States, despite what some people claim who are very loud, we've really removed most of the religious elements from them. When I think of Christmas, I don't think of Jesus in a manger. I think of Santa and reindeer. And if you go to your local Target, you know, there's barely any of the religious stuff there. It's all the trappings of secular Christmas. It's all the things that we loved as kids. I mean, that's really what it seems like the holiday revolves around. And a lot of these holidays, too, especially Christmas, for a long time, Christians hated Christmas because the origins of about everything that happens um, Christmas season dates back to pagan antiquity. And there were people who were aware of that. It was also for a long time about fornication, usually not with your spouse, and about heavy drinking. And this was really how Christmas was celebrated until about the beginning of the 20th century. So, you know, it's really different than how the holidays are portrayed today. And holidays are what you make of them. There's, if your family has a religious component and you feel comfortable participating in it, you know, go right ahead. And if you don't sit it out, it doesn't change the holiday. You can still do pretty much anything. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll see a lot of people online that I know are Wiccan, but they'll still be posting pictures of their Christmas tree that they put up and, you know, posting about their kids and the presents that Santa got them and, and things like that. Like it just because they're Wiccan doesn't mean that they can't you know, celebrate Christmas. And it's true. I mean, when I think of Christmas, I think of red and green and Santa and his sleigh and, you know, the reindeer and all the fun songs and everything like that. I, I really don't think about, you know, Jesus being born, you know, Mary and like the three wise men and all that. And also, you know, holidays are sometimes about our biological or chosen families. So sometimes you just have to kind of go along with them, even if you're not really into it. 
because it's not just about you. It's about kind of things that are bigger and greater than you. Also, when it comes to Christmas, my wife and I still celebrate Christmas because the thought is, what else are we going to do that day? Everything's closed. You know, there's nothing to do. We might as well, you know, wait a couple of extra days to open presents. Gosh, that just reminded me. I had a coworker who was Jewish and him and I both started at our company at the same time. And we had only been there a couple months at that point. And I was planning to come in the day after Christmas and work on Christmas Eve because you know, none of my family was in town and it didn't really bother me to work. I didn't really want to use vacation days just to sit at home by myself. And he was telling me that, oh, you know, like my boss told me I can work from home. And I was like, oh, that must be nice. So then I was telling some other coworkers who we, we also started around the same time, um, how, you know, our friend was going to work from home. And my other coworkers were like, oh, that's not fair. You know, he doesn't even celebrate Christmas. Like, why does he get to go work from home? And I just very distinctly remember saying to them, like, well, you know, there's a, there's eight Sabbaths, like Wiccan Sabbaths that I follow. And I still have to go to work. <laughs> you don't hear me complaining about it. <laughs> I can only imagine my boss's look, like, look on her face if I were to go to her and be like, hey, so, uh, you know, Lamas is coming up and I need to take off. She'd probably be like, what are you talking about? Llamas? What are you doing with llamas? <laughs> exactly. And I don't even want to begin to get into that, such, that conversation with my boss. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just thought it was a funny thing to seeing, see them so upset that somebody who was Jewish got to work from home and we didn't. And I was just like, hmm, well, you know, <laughs> you want to look at this in a different perspective. It's not a big deal. Well, also, you know, the Sabbaths, we celebrate them often. Like we say, this, like Samhain is October 31st. But they're really more of a season than they are one particular day. You know, the, the veil between the worlds just doesn't suddenly slam shut on November 1st. You know, that it opens slowly, you know, starting in the fall. And, you know, it's at its peak in late October, early November. And then it starts to shrink again. But, you know... We were not made for the Sabbaths. The Sabbaths were made for us. You know, for me, for years, it's like we celebrate in our covens, usually on the closest Friday or Saturday to the Sabbath. You know, the, the world doesn't stop if we have to go into work on August 1st. You know, it's just not worth it. Like, oh, it's a Wednesday. Why would I want this damn day off anyways? <laughs> You know, celebrate August 3rd and it's going to be just fine. I I think too, a lot of people, especially people who are just starting out in this path or their journey or whatever you want to call it, where they may get very, not anxious, but worried that like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't celebrate, you know, the summer solstice on the exact day. Like, can I still do something for it? And the answer is absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. Celebrated Equinox two weeks late. Exactly. I mean, we'll, we'll have coven meetings that don't necessarily fall on the exact day of the Sabbaths. I mean, that'd be cool if they did, but (laughs) sometimes the Sabbaths fall, you know, in the middle of a week or on an off week that we're not meeting. So we'll just have to do it the next time. And there's no problem with that. You know, and really like when you kind of think about the Sabbaths, the only one that people really probably want off is October 31st. Yep. I mean, I could get wanting Halloween off pretty bad, but I mean, the rest of them, There aren't like other holidays that are running on the same day, like Samhain and Halloween. So it's it's not quite the same. You know, most, you know, every once in a while, Easter might fall on like the same day as the spring equinox or somewhere close, but that's not very often. You know, you talked about 
you know, we might celebrate the Sabbath a week later at the coven meeting or something. That's one of the other things that a lot of people don't know about sort of the development of what we today call the wheel of the year. You know, when the first witchcraft books were published by modern self-identifying witches in the 50s, they talked about four greater Sabbaths. Today, we call those Samhain, Imbolc, Beltane, and Lamas or Lunasa or Lunasad. It's a, it's a word much like Athame. You can say it like 97 <laughs> times, different ways. But, you know, they only really celebrated those four Sabbaths. And then they felt they celebrated the equinoxes and solstices on the full moon closest to the Sabbath. And then after a few years of this, somebody wrote a letter to Gerald Gardner, who was like the first modern public witch. And she said, can we start celebrating on the actual equinoxes and solstices? And he said, oh, what a great idea. And that's how we kind of came up with this eight wheel of the year Sabbath system. But it really originally wasn't quite like that. That's very true. And I think that's really good information for people who are just starting out to know that, it, you know, if you're a couple of days late, if you're a week late, as long as you don't get so worked up about it, it's not a big deal. I, I will say, I think one of the most powerful spells that I ever did was for the spring equinox or Astara. And this was before I was in a coven. This was completely on my own, you know, hadn't even, I didn't even know a Gardnerian was. <laughs> and I did a ritual to celebrate the spring equinox and did a spell during that ritual. And I kind of gave it like a spring equinox twist. Like there was an egg and, you know, some fertility type looking things. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I celebrated that and I did that spell in honor of the spring equinox. You could say probably about three weeks after it actually happened. <laughs> so I, I was kind of late there, but that spell ended up being one of the most powerful ones I've ever done. And I'm very grateful for it. And, you know, it was three weeks later, but it all worked out fine. You know, the spring equinox living in Michigan was always kind of a joke to us. You know, there was like a foot of snow on the ground while you're celebrating the spring equinox. All the Llewellyn books, like when they have pictures of the spring equinox, there are flowers and stuff everywhere. There were no flowers where we were at. You know, there were just piles of snow. So, it was, you know, you might as well have celebrated Ostara three or four <laughs> weeks later. Yeah, you know, I don't think that I've ever, you know, observed a spring equinox when there's actually been nice weather. I think every time it's been cold. <laughs> It's been different now that we live in California, though. It's been much nicer. You know, there's, you know, fresh jasmine on in the breeze and, you know, flowers everywhere. And the the grass is all green and the hills are lit up with all the things that are growing on them before the drought season starts, which is like right now. And it all turns brown. But in March, it's really pretty. So it was like the first time. I'd ever really got to celebrate spring in March or April was when we finally moved. Oh my gosh, that sounds so aesthetically pleasing. I, I don't know what happened in my region, but we pretty much turned into London and it just rained for like three months straight for no reason. <laughs> and ever since then, it's still been so incredibly cloudy out here every day. Even today is cloudy. And it's like, will I ever see the sun again? <laughs> like, like I, I miss it. Maybe it's a way to try to keep you indoors. You know what? I think a lot of people need some reasons to stay indoors right now, but... <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah, I'm yeah. definitely staying indoors, sun or no sun, except for if I'll go on a walk occasionally. But I just moved to a new building where there's pretty much nothing around me. So the walks aren't that fun. It's a lot of like, you know, industrial type buildings and like businesses and not fun things. No pretty flowers to look at. So I'm jealous of your setup over there. Yeah, I feel really lucky that we are where we are. We live 
like five blocks from a downtown that used to be fun. It's not really fun anymore because there's nothing open there, but it's residential and there's lots of people growing things and lots of roses right now are out and about. It's, it's so it's really pretty. It helps. Oh, that's nice. I can see from my building a government or see from my window, a government building. (laughs) That's kind of what I'm dealing with over here. (laughs) I do have a military contractor, like just like over the, across the street from me though. So you have to be careful which way you look. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine, uh, especially if, you know, if maybe they could see you too, if you're outside doing some sort of ritual, that'd be an interesting situation to be in. That would be. That might get in trouble. I'm sure they're looking though, because they own this huge plot of land where we live. So you often you kind of have to walk around where they're at. And you know, there are security cameras everywhere. If you walk around too much, they're probably thinking that you're going to try to break in. Every once in a while at two in the morning, there'll be military convoys that come in and drop things off and, you know, at their factory. It's really weird. Or they'll wheel something out escorted by military vehicles. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, it sounds like you're pretty well protected out there at least. Either I'm well protected or I'm in big trouble. <laughs> it's one or the other. Oh man. All right. Well, any closing final thoughts about Sabbaths? You know, as I said, I could talk for hours about Sabbaths. I will say that there was no ancient Sabbath named Mabon, and there was no ancient Sabbath named Ostara, and those names have only been applied to the Sabbaths since the mid 1970s. So that's one thing. Yes, to I, know. I've definitely heard the stories surrounding that <laughs> and those names. Some people get really upset about it. Yeah. And make a big deal out of it. Oh my God, you called it Mavon. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people do get really antsy. Like they just don't like when you say Mavon instead of fall equinox. But, you know, if you're first starting out, don't worry too much about being flamed on the internet if you say Mabon, because chances are you're going to be flamed on the internet anyway because it's the internet and that's just what it's all about. Mabon is not the worst word. At least it conveys lots of information. When you say it, people know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, so I actually have one question for you that I think would be interested for the listeners. And it's based on something you said in your introduction. Okay. So you mentioned that you have both an eclectic group and you're part of, you know, a traditional group as well. So can you talk a little bit about like what you like about being able to be involved in both of those? Like, does, do you see any like pros or cons or like anything interesting being like have come out of that? There's a couple of uh, different things that are good about each one. Uh, To start, sometimes people don't want to be initiated into an established tradition. And there are people that you still want to do ritual with and you still want to have as a part of your chosen family, so to speak. So having an eclectic coven lets us have those people involved in our lives, which is really nice. I'm also someone who really likes to write ritual and I like to experiment with ritual and do weird little historical things, you know, like reenact what ritual might have been like in 1899 or 1920 or something. And that's not really what a Gardnerian ritual is. So I get to do that with my eclectic group. It's just a different way to do things. Different people fit in better in different structures. So, you know, it's nice to have both options. Sometimes I like being a Gardnerian because I like doing somebody else's ritual. I like (laughs) not to have to do the heavy lifting, you know. There's a book of shadows and somebody wrote that stuff a long time ago. I think I can say that without breaking any oaths. There's always... Some people think that you can't admit that you light candles if you're a gardenarian, 
But, you know, so I like not having to think about it sometimes. There's also kind of a power that you tap into when you're part of an established tradition. The word egregore is sometimes used to describe this power. Like there's an energy that permeates a tradition. And when you do a ritual in that tradition, you tap into that energy and that power. So I do feel like that actually happens when I'm doing Gardnerian ritual. So I like Gardnerian ritual in that sense, because I feel like I'm tapping into this ancient, not maybe not ancient, but older witchcraft, which is older than kind of my eclectic coven. I love them both in different ways. And it's really great when I can do ritual on Friday one way and then on Saturday the other way and kind of have this whole weekend of just doing witch stuff. That's always really great. So they're complementary. I think most people who are a part of an established tradition probably started out in an eclectic group and probably still do some sort of eclectic practice, even if they don't want to admit that. Oh, absolutely. I think most people probably do that. Like people who aren't in a traditional uh, group, you know, when they're not meeting on, you know, the coven, like if they're just at home at their altar, chances are they're going to be doing some eclectic witchcraft, something that kind of just comes organically from them that might not be representative of the exact tradition that they follow. And that's completely fine. You know, one of the things I like about being a witch is you're not really tied into anything. You can still do lots of other stuff. Most witches I know have, you know, one foot in the witchcraft pond, but then they've got a toe, you know, in the stream of something else. You know, we're not, it's not like being a Christian when you can, where you can only be a Christian. You know, when you're a witch, you can embrace lots of different things and explore lots of different ways of doing things. And sometimes, you know, that can be a big step away from witchcraft, or maybe it's just the difference between a tradition in witchcraft and a more eclectic or personal practice. Okay, well, Jason, one quick thing before I let you go. So this is something I ask pretty much everybody that comes on. So if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's just starting out, what would you tell them? Just do shit. Don't (laughs) worry about doing it right. Don't worry about doing it wrong, because you can't do it wrong. Just do it. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And the better your magic will be and the better your practice will be. But don't be scared to try. Just do. Just do. There are no mistakes that you can make for the most part. I love that. And you know what the best part about that advice is? Is you are not the first person to say that. I think almost everybody has said something to that degree. And it really drives from the point of don't be an armchair witch. Just do it. Just do the thing. I remember when I started, I was kind of scared to take those first steps. You know, it was it was much better just to kind of read about it and keep it as a hypothetical in my mind. But once I actually started doing the magic and doing the work, then my life improved and then things got better. And then the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's like a muscle. The more you use it, the more it develops. Absolutely. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell me and tell the listeners how people can find you. If you just Google Jason Mankey, monkey with an a uh you'll see all kinds of stuff my name is the first jason mankey who comes up in google search if you go deep into google search there's a christian pastor with my name so that's kind of funny kind of feel bad for him but mostly it's just kind of funny so you can see like where i blog it's called raise the horns i have a podcast called witches whiskey and wit which airs on thursday nights you can see, find that online and, you know, there's the Amazon page and all the rest of it. You know, it's pretty easy to find. It's a lot of witches, you know, look me up, don't look me up. There's a lot of things to do. 
<laughs> you know, funny story. If you actually look up my full name on Google as well, there is somebody with my exact name around my age who is like a very devout Christian woman who has like a, her whole job revolves around the church. So <laughs> when you look me up, it, it looks as though I'm a very big fan of Jesus. And I do that in my daily work. And I'm like, huh, interesting. Well, that, you know what? That's fine with me. <laughs> and she hosts a podcast called Seeking Jesus or something. Yep, Seeking Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Jason, so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was such a fun episode and you are welcome to come back anytime you would like. Oh, thank you. This has been really fun. You're really good at this. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you. And to anybody listening, I just want to give a reminder that you can find me on social media for Twitter. It's at Seek Witchcraft, Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft, Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. And want to give a quick shout out to the Patreon group people, the Witchling and the Neophyte group. You guys are amazing. You're eventually going to help me get a mic. And I love that because I was just talking to Jason about my mic problems. <laughs> <laughs> with recording episodes before we started this so thank you guys so much for listening and we'll i'll talk to you all very soon bye lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.